Amen. Good evening. If you brought a Bible with you this evening, Psalm 26 is where we'll be. This evening, Psalm 26. When you walk into a traditional bookstore, you all remember the traditional bookstore? It seems that today we purchase our books from Amazon.com and we read them on our tablets and uh, perhaps we don't always venture into a traditional bookstore, but if you remember the good old days when we'd walk into a traditional bookstore, you find the, the store laid out by section. On the one side, you will find all of the fiction books, and there will be shelves of science fiction and historical fiction, and there'll be mystery novels and various subcategories of of fiction. If you turn to the other side of the story, you might find a, a sign or a section that points you to biographies or reference books. There might be a section titled medical or religion. Of course, there would be an area for children's books. And then in the back corner of the bookstore, an important place in every bookstore would be the self-help or the how-to books in the bookstore. And the self-help or how-to section of the bookstore could be very helpful if you want to learn how to cook or how to fix your car or do any number of things. Of course, now we don't go to the self-help or how-to section of a bookstore. We go to to YouTube, and we watch the the video clips there when we need help with how to do something. But along the way, it became popular for Christian authors to write how-to books about the Christian life. It became popular for Christian preachers to preach how-to sermons about the Christian life. And at some point along the way, I became cynical about how-to Christianity, as if someone's walk with God could be reduced to 12 steps of behavioral modification or such. But my pendulum has swung back a bit for, in fact, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is made up of single and sequential steps. We call it the walk of faith. We call it steps of obedience. And the fact of the matter is that sometimes we need practical help in knowing how to or when to take the next step in the right direction. And God has given us these helps. God has given us, of course, his word. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. Psalm um, 119, verse 105. God has given us the Holy Spirit as our helper, John 14, 26. God has gifted the church pastors and teachers to help us toward spiritual maturity. God has given us one another to help, to encourage one another in our Christian walk as we take next steps in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. This evening, I want to preach a how-to message. I want to offer help for us in how we should walk. For in Psalm 26, David demonstrates how to, how to do right, when we've been done wrong. And he frames it as a walk. And I want to break that walk down into steps, not 12 steps, but in this case, seven steps, as you see the notes I prepared for you, seven steps that the psalmist frames by a theme of of walking. Look at Psalm 26, verse number one. He says, I have walked in my integrity. I will not slip Look at verse number three. I have walked in your truth. 
And then the psalm concludes in the very same way in verse 11, I will walk, verse 11, I will walk in my integrity. There is a way to walk right or do right when we have been done wrong. Let me pray and then we'll study this psalm together. God in heaven, we ask that you would be our helper, that your spirit would be our teacher. Lord, our desire is to know how to, how to walk rightly even when we've been done wrong, how to take next steps of obedience and we concede that we need your help and so we ask for it this evening. We trust you for it. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us in our walk just now, for I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So, you have been wronged, or more specifically, you have been wrongly judged. Someone close to you, someone in your sphere, has accused you of something that is not true. They have charged you, they have blamed you for something, and then they have spread slander about you to others. Consequently, you feel betrayed. You are betrayed. You've been shamed publicly. What do you do? How do you respond? I want you to take a moment here this evening at the beginning of our study, and I want you to mentally identify the wrong accusation that you've suffered. You say, Pastor Matt, that's easy for me. I, I, just, I, just, I just know exactly the scenario you're describing. That's good. That, that'll make it easy for us this evening. You say, Pastor Matt, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, then you're not being honest with yourself or with us because this is common to our human experience. And even though you may claim to have forgiven and forgotten, I suspect, if you're anything like me, that you haven't entirely forgotten. In fact, you probably battle to maintain a spirit of forgiveness even though that circumstance has happened so long ago. And so this evening, in the privacy of your own mind and your own heart, you can identify an occasion, a circumstance, a person when you were wrongly judged, wrongly accused, when you were slandered, perhaps the victim of gossip, you suffered some injustice at some point, just as David suffered, some wrong was committed against him. So how do you respond? Look at Psalm 26, verse number one. David says, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord, I shall not slip. The first step in doing right when you've been done wrong is number one. Step number one is talk to God. Talk to God. The first person you go to when you've been wronged is God. Before you call your friends or before you rally everyone to your cause, go to God. This is how David stayed on his feet and didn't slip in his walk. Okay, so I'm supposed to just tell God all of my troubles, right? Well, actually notice what David says when he talks to God in verse number two. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. Now, wait a minute. David is the victim of wrongdoing here. David isn't the one who needs to be examined. David isn't the object of investigation. After all, David is maintaining his integrity. He's maintaining his innocence in the matter. But with humility and with transparency and vulnerability, David talks to God and asks God three things. Examine me and prove me and try me. 
And how is it that David can lay himself bare before God and invite God's investigation of him? I'll tell you how. It's because of what David wrote in verse number one. In verse one, look there. He says, I have also trusted in the Lord. And so God, I come to you with my hurt. I lay myself bare before you because I trust you. God, I come to you after suffering this injustice and I let you see my heart because I trust you. God, I am casting my care upon you because I trust you. I'm hiding nothing because I trust you. And and what is the point of of David's trust here in verse one and verse two? David trusts that God sees, that God knows, and that God is the one who can vindicate him. Say, okay, pastor, is, is that it? When I am wronged, do I simply go to God, leave it with him, and walk away? No, I think there's a next step. Verse number three. Verse number three. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. So not only do you talk to God, that's step one. Number two, you look to God. Look to God. Now, many times when we go to God, and when we go to God in prayer, talking to God, telling him our circumstance, we want God to see our situation. God, let me tell you what the other person said about me. God, let me tell you what the other person did to me. God, let me show you the wrong that I have suffered. God, can't you see my situation? Folks, he sees, and he knows. In fact, the Bible teaches us that God, of course, is all-knowing. He's omniscient. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this case, David doesn't demand that God see him and his circumstance. That's normally how we go to God. When we go and talk to God, God, I need to inform you of my circumstance. I want you to see what's happening to me. You need to know what just went down. But rather, David looks to God and David sees something about God and God's character. And what does David see with his eyes when he looks to God? Look at it in verse three. Verse number three, for your loving kindness is before my eyes. You talk to God transparently and then you look to God to see his character. The loving kindness there, it's the Hebrew has said, it's translated steadfast love or unfailing love or mercy or goodness. God's has said. What does God's has said look like? I'll, I'll take a moment here and just speak for myself by way of personal testimony. This is God's loving kindness to me. Are you ready? God set his love upon me and sent his son to die for me. God saved me from my sin. He's redeemed me, graciously rescued me from my sin. God has given me health and strength to enjoy the simple things of of life. God has found me faithful and put me into ministry. God has given me a wife and children You, Fourth Baptist, are part of God's goodness to me. You are so kind to me and my family. Every good and perfect gift that I have received, I receive from above. And even when I've endured trials in my life, and you may not know them, or you may not think that the preacher suffers trials and tribulations, but in every case, God has been good to sustain me 
with comfort and, and peace. This is God's loving kindness to me. Now it's your turn. As you look to God and, and you look for to see his loving kindness, what can you identify of his character in your life? Charles Spurgeon has written this. I've printed it for you there. Brethren, depend upon it that you shall find each of you when you get dull and flagging in the practical part of your religion, which is in fact the reality of our Christian walk, the practical part of our Christian faith, that the proper way to revive it is to think more than you have done upon the loving kindness of God. You get that? That's sage counsel. Brethren, depend upon it that you shall find each of you when you get dull and flagging in the practical part of your religion that the proper way to revive it is to think more upon more than you have done upon the loving kindness of God. And so in verse number three, David looks to God and he sees the loving kindness of God. Also there in verse number three, he cites the truth. I've walked in your truth. If there were subpoints to step number two, they would be God's loving kindness and, and they would be God's truth. God's truth, God's word. It's a lamp to my feet, it's a light to my path. David said in Psalm 119, 105, guiding his steps in his walk with the Lord. And the truth is ultimately what will prevail. We can't control about 99% of what happens circumstantially, but we can walk in the truth. And the Apostle John's greatest joy was to know that his children walked in the truth. And so when you talk to God, and then you look to God, you see his loving kindness, and you identify his truth. That's how to walk right when you've been done wrong. Look at verses four and five. Psalm 26, verse four, I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. David here is describing a, a personal separation from sinners and, and really at issue is not just association but influence. And so I would give you number three, step number three, reject ungodly counsel. Reject ungodly counsel. Now it's not wrong to seek counsel. In fact, quite the contrary. It's good and right to seek counsel. However, however be careful where you go for that counsel. If you go to the self-help how-to section of a bookstore, you will learn the wisdom of man. And you may err, and you may step wrong. The wisdom of the world will tell you not to turn the other cheek. It will tell you to fight fire with fire. The wisdom of the world won't tell you to forbear or forgive as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you, but rather it will tell you to retaliate and litigate. The wisdom of the world won't tell you to pray for the one who has spitefully used you. It will tell you to punish them in return for the pain they've caused you. And so be careful in your walk as you take a next step regarding where you'll find the counsel. And for that, that reason, Psalm 1 says this, and you know it well, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So then if a, if a right step for you is personal separation from 
sinners. From the ungodly counsel in verses 4 and 5, another right step is association with worshipers in verses 6 through 8. Look at verse number 6. I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord. Step 4, cleanse your hands. Cleanse your hands. Talk to God. Look to God. Reject ungodly counsel. Step number four, cleanse your hands. And this is a reference to the the purification that was practiced before approaching the altar in Exodus 30. Just listen as I read from Exodus 30, verses 17 to 21. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall also make a laver of bronze with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die. And it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their their generations. And and so there was this ceremonial practice of cleansing the hands, of, of washing, and it was symbolic of the necessary confession of sin and purification of heart that prepared one to approach God. And that's what David purposes to do there in step number four is to cleanse his his hands. Turn with me to Psalm 73. It's, it's not far away. You're there in the book of Psalms. I, uh, the reason that David would cleanse his hands is so that he might approach God's presence, the altar, the place where he could meet with God in this preparatory way. And, and this was also the, the, the case with the psalmist Asaph, who who also nearly slipped in his walk as he was taking steps in, in his walk with God. Psalm 73, verse number one. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. You see, Asaph is suffering the same vulnerability as David in Psalm 26. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Jump to verse number 13. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. This is the very same theme that this psalmist is preparing himself for approach to God in the cleansing of his hands. Verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. The wicked, the evil, the enemy. Verse 25. If I can turn my page here. Verse uh, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Verse 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your, your works. And so whether it is Asaph here in Psalm 73 or whether it's David back in, in Psalm 26, you can return there. The cleansing of, of our hands illustrates the exercise of preparing to approach God. Now, let me pause here these seven steps of how to do right when you've been done wrong. Nowhere do we find any suggestion that you post anything on social media. Do you see that? It's just not there, not yet. There are no phone calls that have been made yet. 
There is no nasty email blast. There's no conversation with anyone other than David before the Lord. I'm gonna talk to God. I'm gonna look to God. I'm gonna reject the godly conventional counsel of this world. I'm gonna cleanse my hands in preparation to approach God. When we've done when we've been done wrong, we don't need the human the human vindication. We need a divine visit. We need to draw near to God and to enter his presence. Back in Psalm 26, we've now come to verse number seven, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Next step, step number five, open your mouth. Open your mouth. And we all are happy to open our mouths because we wanna rail against those who've done us wrong. We wanna open our mouths to set the record straight and share our side of the story. But in this case, we open our mouths to proclaim praise and thanksgiving to God. Turn with me to the book of Acts. We have the time to do this in your New Testaments to the, the book of Acts. And I, I, want, I want just to, to have you observe how the apostles opened their mouths uh, when they were wronged. And we'll begin in, in Acts chapter five for the first illustration Acts 5, look at verse number, oh, I suppose we can pick up in Acts 5, verse number 40. And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name and daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. A defiant act of civil disobedience here when they opened their mouth after their suffering. Turn the page to to chapter 16, Acts 16. You know this episode well. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are imprisoned for their preaching. Acts 16, perhaps we can pick up in verse 22. Acts 16, verse 22, then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods and when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Whatever the charges were, trumped up, slanderous libel, false accusation. Verse 24, having received a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. All right, how do you respond when you've been done wrong? What do you do? When you've been done wrong, but at midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Folks, open your mouth in declaring the character of God, worship, and in praise. You say, Pastor, what's a next step for me? How do I do right when I've been done wrong? Praise and thanksgiving, and worship. Open your mouth. Verse number eight. Back in Psalm 26, I I, I trust you kept your finger there. Psalm 26, verse eight. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Step six. Go to God's house. Now, 
I've often counseled and encouraged people who've been wronged to be in church every time the doors are open. And to some, that sounds like a legalistic exercise. However, I'm telling you that the best therapy and comfort and healing and encouragement comes from being with the people of God in the house of God. But folks, I tell you, that is not our natural inclination. We are tempted to withdraw ourselves, to skip or even scorn the assembly of God's people, especially if our hurt has, or, or our offense has come from someone in the assembly. But go to Psalm 42. Psalm 42, this is instructive to us. Psalm 42, David says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He has a right desire here, a right step to prepare and approach God. Verse number, verse number three, my tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? There is derision there. He's being slandered and, and mocked. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, verse four, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Do you, do you catch these same themes here? He's opening his mouth with joy and praise. He's, he's going to the house of God. You're familiar with the Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells us to consider one another to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, well, Pastor Matt, you don't understand. I'm just taking a break from church for a while because I was wronged. I've been hurt. So-and-so said such-and-such, and and, and, um, so I, I just think I just need a break. That is a wrong step. That's a misstep. That's a backward step in your walk with God. Go to God's house. Back in Psalm 26, David says, Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. What is, what is David saying here in verses 9 and 10? He, he's, he's saying, um, that, that he's, he's asking God to spare him from the same fate as the wrongdoers. And I think in this case, it, it probably refers to premature death. But it, as for David, whatever would befall him, verse 11, but as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me rather than the fate of those in verses nine and 10. And so I would offer you step number seven. After we talk to God, we look to God, we reject ungodly counsel, we cleanse our hands, we open our mouths, we go to God's house. Number seven, maintain your integrity. Maintain your integrity. Now, often what happens is we feel compelled to fuss and fight in defense of ourselves, hoping to vindicate our own cause. That's my default. That's how I respond. But if we walk in integrity with a clear conscience before the Lord, we can trust the matter to God without feeling the need to campaign for ourselves on our own behalf. But rather, we trust God to redeem us and to be merciful to us. So that the conclusion then, verse number 12, my foot stands in an evil place. I'm sorry, in an even 
place. Compare verse 1 with verse number 12. In verse number 1, he references the, the notion of walking and slipping in his steps. In verse number 12, he says, I'm standing in an even place in the congregation. I will bless the Lord. David was wronged in in some way, shape, or form. We we don't know the circumstance. David walked without slipping, verse 1, to a place where he could stand in verse number 12, an even place, a level place in the assembly of the Lord. Now, your notes are complete. We've read the psalm. Nowhere is there any suggestion that the wrong done to David or said about David was ever righted. Nowhere here are David's critics or enemies ever corrected. Nowhere do they compensate David for what he has suffered. But David was able to walk rightly after being done wrong. Turn your notes over and allow me to conclude with a brief story about the French Huguenots. Now, the French Huguenots were, were French Protestants, Protestants in the 16th and 17th centuries. They, they followed the teachings of the reformer John Calvin. And due to persecution by their Catholic government, they fled the country and they created Huguenot settlements across Europe. Listen to what um, W. Graham Scroge writes about um, this, about the Huguenots. After the revocation of the Edict of Nantes in 1865 by Louis XIV, the Protestant ministers were expelled from France by the Catholic government, but the people were forbidden to leave, and all the highways and byways were jealously watched to prevent them, to prevent the people from leaving, the the French Protestants. Fines, imprisonments, tortures were then employed to make them renounce their religion and their children were taken from them to be brought up in the Roman Catholic faith. Despair drove the Protestants to attempt every means of escape. They took refuge among the mountains and woods, hiding by day and fleeing by night to reach the frontier. The most industrious and intelligent of her population left France and inflicted on her a loss from which she has not yet recovered The stories of some of these refugees are of the most thrilling kind. When they reached a friendly land, they thanked God with ecstasy for the safety and freedom their own country denied them. Pinton of Chambrun, one of these exiles, tells that when he and his companions came in sight of Geneva, they sang with tears of joy this psalm. Psalm 26 every word of which seems made for such a case. Folks, we are not fleeing uh, persecution from our government just yet. We are not suffering as the French Huguenots. And I suspect neither are we suffering as David did in Psalm 26. But we have been done wrong. We've been threatened We've been betrayed. We've been falsely accused. How do we do right when we've been done wrong? I suggest these seven steps, and of course there could be 10, 12, 20. There are many right steps that we could take. But per David's testimony in Psalm 26, we walk in our integrity with a clear conscience, trusting the Lord to vindicate our cause. Because he sees, he knows, 
and someday he will make it right. Let me pray. God in heaven, I ask that you would help us to trust and to rest in your sovereign control over our circumstances. Lord, we've been kicked in the teeth and we've been stabbed in the back. We've been slandered and maligned. Lord, people within and without have have hurt us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take right steps, to talk to you with transparency, to look to you and your character, to reject ungodly counsel, but seek wisdom from above, to cleanse our hands so that we can approach you with open mouths of praise and thanksgiving in your house among your people, maintaining our integrity before you. Lord, we commit ourselves to you in these practical ways. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.